happy Thanksgiving week. Hope everybody's having a great one. We're here with the Pure Tennis Podcast. Appreciate my producer and co-host Joe Patton for having me again. Great to see you again. It's been a, been a couple weeks. How are we doing today? Since we talked, a lot has happened in the tennis world. You know, Carlos Alcaraz won the next-gen finals. Sasha Zverev took home the ATP Tour finals. And then Garbine. You called that. You called that. I did. And then Gar- I feel good about that one. That's one of the few I've predicted correctly. And then Garbine Muguruza took home the WTA finals title. So a lot has happened. What, what, what is the last couple of weeks? What have you enjoyed watching in the tennis uh, world? Um, I've been engrossed in, in tennis reading, but watching tennis, I, I would the ATP finals. You're buzzing through these tennis books. I am buzzing through them. I'm going through, I got Brad Gilbert's book on hold and I'm, uh, just finishing up the inner game of tennis and I got it at a book sale and I found out that it was actually signed by the author. <laughs> That's pretty cool. You're teaching me the art of speed reading, which I really appreciate. I was going to give in to the whole reading books thing and just start going to audio, uh, but no, the, if, if I can speed read, I'm back in. I got to reread the, the the book open from Magacy, but I think that's the best, best book I've read in 10 years by far. You're a tennis fan, and I know I'm late to the game. I said it before, but Agassi's book, uh, Open, is an awesome tennis book, but it's also great uh, for nostalgic 1990s, early millennial, millennium, uh, just current events, which is awesome because it just brings back all the Agassi-Pete rivalry and everything with Brooke Shields to, you know, to Steffi Graf, who is a tennis fan. Everybody loves Steffi. So. No, so much good stories off the court, on the court, um, just the mentality aspect of tennis. And Agassi really kind of opens up his, his, his life to, to the tennis fans, and I think you can't replace that. And it's just a ton of value for up-and-coming tennis players and any athlete and really just anybody in general because it's so relatable. Uh, the, the battles and the struggles that he went through on a daily basis. But before we get into the tennis talk, uh, Black Friday is here. Tennis Point has a lot of great deals coming. Check out TennisPoint.com to find the latest and greatest out there. We have 15% off on pretty much everything. So, um, yeah, happy Thanksgiving week. And I wanted to just start off talking about Sasha Zverev as he finishes probably his best year as a tennis player, winning the gold medal in this past summer. Uh, following up with a Western and Southern title, and then he finishes this year with a ATP Finals uh, t- uh, trophy. So just a great week for him. He got revenge on Medvedev, who had beat in the final, who had beat him five days earlier in an epic three-setter. Uh, just came around in that last Finals match, found the shot that he had been looking for his whole career with the forehand down the line, and Medvedev had gotten used to kind of camping on that forehand corner in the deuce court. But Sasha's confidence is just continues to grow, and his game when he's on is so fun to watch. He's so good off the ground. He ser- his serve has looked beautiful. He's not having the yips on the second serve, and you can just tell he's having fun playing tennis. And after the interview or on his, his uh, trophy ceremony, he's already talking about looking forward to 2022. And I think he, he wants the big one. He wants a grand slam. He wants to take home a title at, at either the Australian – or the, the U.S. Open, I think those are where his best chances will come. It's going to be tougher on the grass and the clay for him. But, um, no, big year for Sasha. I thought he looked incredible. Me I think too. He, he moves I, around so well for a big guy, too, just coming in. like You think of him as just kind of like a blast-away um, person, but he's just nimble, too, for being so large. That's just crazy. No, he, he's at 6'6". That dude, he, he should not move that fluid. And 
getting out of the corners that quick, and he really he stays on the ball so well. I think that's the most impressive part, especially on his backhand. He sits on that thing, and he's able to just absorb power and just gets easy pop when the ball without really any without any pace coming onto his racket. So he's always impressed me off the backhand wing. Yeah. As the forehand continues to develop, the guy's going to be a, a real problem for these guys. And he's obviously number three in the world right now. He's is is he? Where do you think he's going to show that he is it going to be the Australian Open or do you think he's going to be a factor on the grass or the clay or does he have to wait to the U.S. Open? Where do you think he's going to be able to have his best chance at getting his first career slam? I mean. It's crazy because, like, if you think about it, he got the hard one out of the way. Apparently, the gold, the gold medal is the hardest one to get. So he got that one. If he's going for the career slam, he's got that one done. I think if, right. like, looking at, I always thought that the big guys have trouble on clay, but he doesn't. Him and Titsipas and Medvedev are, you know, showing that they can all move on clay. So it's just hard to think of him winning anything that wasn't just like in my head that he was going to have all that advantage on just that tomahawk dunk serve and then mm-hmm. kind of coming in. So I would say like Wimbledon, but, um, or the U S open where the speed, but, um, I, that, I'm kind of at a loss. I don't know. Cause I, I like him at the U S open with how fast the courts are. Uh, he had chances against Novak this year. And now, now that I think he's the Medvedev matchup is, quickly becoming the best rivalry in tennis best right now. Best rivalry in tennis. It's uh, rivalry week, too. It is rivalry way. week. That rivalry is not at that six-all. Medvedev had won five in a row previously to the to the final, and I think that was a, uh, a big thing for Zverev to get that one. And I actually, um, not that this is a gambling podcast, but <laughs> I, I saw Zverev was plus, like, 190. Or at, yeah, I think it was plus 190, if I'm not mistaken, before that match. I hopped on that quickly because you could just tell in that semifinal match versus Novak, he – he wanted this title bad. Like it meant a lot to him, and Medvedev looked pretty gassed after that match against Center. Center really took it out of him, and I wasn't sure. And Medvedev that was an amazing match, though. I mean, not to go. No, it was. I know I'm a Medi homer, but that was just that was every reason why I loved Medvedev. Like coming down, coming back in the tiebreak, and then being down, having the whole all the momentum go to. Yanni having it just all in his hands and then just to kind of pull it out of nowhere. I thought that Medvedev, you you told me he was done, that his legs were shot and he still came they back. They were. I, I still, they were, they were they totally were gone, but he, he found a way. And I, I think that that's why people like Medvedev is he's so gritty. Um, but you're right, absolutely. Is, uh, is 2022 the year that Medvedev is going to change the no celebration to like, he's got to give us more dead fish. Like we, we, we need we need something out of Medvedev. Like, I know tennis I know means a lot to the guy, <laughs> and the U.S. Open celebration was legendary. Maybe that's the just he wants to just end it on that note, and he'll never <laughs> celebrate another win again. That's that's cool. That's it, that's it. It went, it made it on every page. I mean, every. I mean, even I think even ESPN showed tennis some love on that one. So, um, no, Medvedev. I think it like it has to get to guys' heads though. I mean, just w- looking at his box, giving that death glare, and then walking up to the net like it's no big deal. I, I don't know. The guy's the guy's crazy. He's free. He's got like the weirdest thing is that I feel like he's looking at tennis in a different way than other people. Is that he still has that that competitive game where he you can't make the argument that he's not in the top. I mean, there's a group of guys that are. We talked about that in the last podcast. There's a group of guys that are kind of separating a little bit from the other ones, but that he also has the aspect to his game where he can. I feel like he's still 
uh, right in that that fine line of just you know he he can blow up it. He's got that edge to him that he I does. think I think that that he can beat people with that edge. That I think I, that there's yeah. he's more mature than than the people he's playing against. Obviously not Djokovic, but he's more mature than the rest of them. No, that's I think that's a very good point that you make there, and I think that edge is what kind of separates him from from the bunch minus Zverev and Novak right now. I think those three guys have set themselves yeah. apart a little bit, especially in the big events. There's six guys that finished this year with 50 wins or more. It's amazing. How many name? Can you name the six guys that finished that finished 2021 with six, with 50 wins? Uh, Djokovic. Boom. Berev. Boom. Pitsipas. Yep. Medvedev. Yep. That's four. Um, I mean, I'm these just, are the two tough ones. This this is where the trivia was going to get tough on you. I'm going to go. The two breakout, two of the best. Breakout Rubel- performers. Rublev? No. He finished at 49. Oh. Um, breakout performers. Think breakout. Who, who came onto the scene hot and heavy? Yeah. Two guys. One guy is a Norwegian. Oh, Casper Rude? Casper Rude. Really? 55 and 17. Did not see that. I did not realize Ridiculous he won that many years. Who's the sixth? His name, he played for... Texas Christian University. No way. Cam Norrie. Cam Norrie. He got 50, 50 and wins. 24. Cam wow. Norrie's a dog. So dog. That Total dude, dog. You got to to get 50 wins, guys. That is I mean, look at the look at the go to Wikipedia and look up 50 win seasons. You put yourself in a in a category of a bunch of big names and top tennis talents of all time when you get to 50 wins in a season. So, shout to those six. Incredible season of tennis as it it kind of comes down to an end. Um, we want to look forward to the, to the next year, though. I'm already ready for 2022. The Australian Open is a uh, month and a half, two months out. Can't um, wait. Yeah, is Novak? Yeah, and Novak is ready to try to chase history and become the uh, world leader in most slams won. He, they're all knotted at 20. Him, Rafa, Roger, and first off, do you think he gets it at the Australian Open where he's had the most success in his career? If they let him play, yes. <laughs> It, I mean, I think if I have to go with my gut, he's going to get vaccinated. He's going to play in this event, and he's got to be the favorite to win it. I, I, I want to see him make history at the place that he started his his career, kind of putting himself on the map where his, his, all his first success kind of came, and I think I think he does it. I mean, the only real scare in the last year's USO, or last year's Australian Open was to the American Taylor Fritz. It's a good shout. Put him out, uh, got, you know, ripped up his abs, and then, you know, got that cortisone shot right before the fifth <laughs> set and then came out and took him apart. Took but. the first two sets, dropped the third and fourth, and then finished the fifth. But that was one of the one of my most entertaining matches that I got to watch all year. Uh, and Fritz had, Fritz had a hell of a year as well. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. was – he even battled a, a knee surgery, came back, and – I mean, he, yeah, he almost he got thirty. He was thirty-four and twenty-two on the year with a winning percentage of about sixty-one percent. He was, and he and he ended up playing his best tennis of his career at the end, post knee surgery, which was really impressive. And he, who was the final? Who finished the highest in the, of the Americans? Was it uh, Fritz? Was Fr- it Fritz? Yeah, I think Fritz, and then, and then Opelka, or was it the the final rankings with the as far as the Americans goes, Taylor Fritz was at 23, Isner 24, oh, Opelka Isner. 26. Wow. So three Americans in that group together there. And then Tiafo a little bit further down, 38. Nice. Cord at 41. Tommy Paul at 43. Shout, shout out to Tommy Paul. He got his first first title of his career this year. I, 
And uh, where was that at? I just I already forgot. Was that uh, Stockholm? I think it was Stockholm. Yeah. Um, he beat Shapovalov in a great final. I'm a huge Tommy Paul fan. I think he's uber talented. He's a fun personality. I think he's great for tennis. And no, and I, just getting to, to know him a little better and, and his coach Stein uh, in Cincinnati, I thought he was just a guy that was easy for me to kind of connect with. Um, but no, going, looking ahead to 2022, a couple of the storylines that I that kind of pop up to me. Uh, hold on, back myself up. It's rivalry week. It is rivalry. It's rivalry week. week. We got. Let's talk about the best the rivalries. Rivalries of all tennis history. Post post two thousand. Let's go post with post two thousand because I think it's a it's a new era of tennis. The technology differences and the the modern game. It, it's all kind of changed. So let's go post two thousand. Three greatest rivalries that I had marked down. Tell me if I'm wrong. In order, I got like. I'm not going by matches played. I'm going by like that. The whole, everything that plays into it, you know. And what it's the, post two thousand. Post two thousand, I got Roger versus Rafa, Agassi versus Sampras, Novak versus Rafa. You got. I would say those are all straight. I mean, that's definitely if you put Agassi into that, because I think there's a couple with Pete that were before two thousand, maybe. I might be wrong, but I would say yeah. But then also. Is it a rivalry if you dominate someone? <clears throat> and um, what are the records? Well, so what's the all-time records against like Roger and uh, Rafa? So Roger Rafa, that is a, a a matchup that Rafa leads by eight. Okay, twenty-four to sixteen. Totally. Twenty-four sixteen. So I mean, Rafa. I, I won't say Rafa's owned that matchup, but Rafa's owned that matchup. I mean, that's. Yeah, because Federer's wins against Rafa earlier, and then once Rafa figured out how to tomahawk, make the ball bounce into his cut slice, which you were telling me about. No, that, I saw. Yeah, that, I saw a crazy stat on Twitter real quick. At in the Australian Open, or no, what was it? The Wimbledon. Sorry, Wimbledon, 2019. He played. They, they uh, Roger Rafa played in the semifinal. Novak Roger played in the final. Yeah. Roger hit 15 percent of his backhands on as a slice against Rafa. Forty-seven percent against Novak. That's insane. That's that is because he took it. He took his weapon away. Right, and and no, Roger did win that match, and then ended up losing to Novak in the final. But Nadal, to his credit, has t- has taken that shot out of Roger's uh, backpack because he's hitting that ball high with with his obviously heavy topspin uh, forehand to his backhand. That's a, that's a uh, pattern that he he's kind of thrived off in their in their rival. But then you had um, you have Novak versus Rafa. 30-28. 58 times they've met. Novak leads by two, 30-28. It's funny because like that that's totally like legit. It, when you talk about those two kind of I just read Agassi's book and strangely um, that's basically a year worth of matches. I would always like think of Pete Sampras as basically a, like I always just remember it being much more one-sided but it's 20 and 14 total head to head. But some of that, some of those wins were definitely before 2000. So it's 1980. So you actually opened the door for old people to talk about um, McEnroe and Borg, which is dead locked at seven and seven. That's Mac- a rivalry. That, no, that is. And I, I, w- I wish I need to go back and watch more film on those guys because I mean you can tell the guy, people that are in their f- mid 40 mid 40s to 50s, they have a different feeling about tennis. Like they like the tennis now, but like. Whatever those guys provided to them in that in that era must have been different. And I I give myself a uh, a homework assignment to go back and watch those matchups because 
that's that's where it seems like tennis was at the top of its peak where it was something that the general fans just you know what not the casuals as we call them were tuning into these to the to the slams at least the the television's so much better now even like looking back at trying to find old film of it though you got to get someone that's gone through it and fixed it because mm-hmm. you can't see the ball <laughs> <laughs> that's so good um no but it's rivalry week and i i think this is where we're I'm really excited to cover to cover college tennis uh, going forward. Is um, tennis point? We have a nice announcement. I know I'm excited about. It. I hope our fans are excited about it. Uh, with the ITA, nothing nothing is official yet, but um, we we look to partner with them in in some capacity going forward. And it is it's going to be a lot of fun as we can kind of hopefully get on the road and promote the college game. And I think that's a format that rivalries even exist in a greater capacity because the team dynamic and these teams are going, I mean, every match counts doubles, singles, and you got guys cheering on the court next to the court. And it's just, and these guys play each other multiple times a year. And it's, yeah, like the Ohio state, Michigan, Illinois, Ohio state, all these, I'm a, I'm a big 10 tennis fan myself, but the sec has got them as two, got them as well. And I'm no, Bellarmine I, rock, rock Bellarmine versus UND. You gotta, we gotta shout out the Greyhounds versus the Knights, the night, the Knights going forward. Are now Division One, so they will not be looking at that matchup True. much longer. But that was that was a rivalry for us back now in the day. Now they're in the Sun League, right? A Sun, yep, A-Sun. yep, yep. So next thing I wanted to touch on rivalry. Always, always love that in sports. You got that's it's it's a big football thing. It's big on basketball. We're gonna bring it to tennis though, because I think tennis has great rivalries. The one the one v ones are, it's it's just different. You know? Yeah, well, absolutely. And like looking into the future, you got. I think that the, the best way, again, throwing to the shout out to the old guys, the Lendl Becker rivalry, which was 11 and 10, dead heat. I mean, to me, like that's kind of like what makes the rivalry is that you don't really know who's going to win. There's mm-hmm. not one guy that's dominating over the other guy. And right now, you said, I forget when you told me this, but you said that Medi and. Zverev, Zverev mm-hmm. are deadlocked. Yeah, sixes. Sixes. Six yep. and six yep. against each other all yep. time. That's yep. the best rivalry in tennis right now. I, I have, Yeah, I have to agree. I think that's the best rivalry in tennis right now. I think those guys, they're, they're, they're not. Titsipas and, and Medi have way more beef with each other, in my opinion. But Medi owns him, right? Everybody seems to have beef beef with Tsitsipas right now. True. But I, I think Medvedev and Zverev have, have some. Um, they, they're, they're, they're not best friends. That's for sure. Right. So the Europeans in general don't seem to be, other than the Italian um, duo of Sinner and Bertini, um, and then I think Casper showed some love at the ATP Finals as well. I don't know how close close knit those guys are. I think that creates a great rivalry because those guys are all fighting for the same things, and I think that's what makes tennis great. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but no, moving on. I wanted to talk about first off t- some of these 2022 storylines and these comeback stories. Four guys that I'm looking forward to seeing back on the court. Obviously, two of the big three. I can't wait to see Rafa back in action. We haven't we haven't seen him since. Um, when was his last? Was it he French played? Open. He did play in the. He played one match against Lloyd Harris in Canada, okay. which he lost. The Canadian Open. Uh, was, I think it was Montreal or Toronto. I forget. Okay. I think this year was Montreal. I've, I didn't. Feels realize. like forever ago. Um, but yeah, before that it was it was the French Open final, which we saw him lose a, a heartbreaker. To Novak, um, I, I wanted, I wanted Ra- to see Rafa get 21. I thought that was his best chance to get it, and Novak came up with the goods, and uh, that was a 
what, little uh, uh, little preview yeah. for what a segment to come to come was maybe the best match of the year. I think that was the best match of the year. No, that's that's fair. Uh, that one hurt me. I'm I'm a Rafa guy. I I respect Novak, but uh, we I, were talking I, through our our notes for the podcast, and I mentioned that that was not only the best match of. I mean, just for the historical value, and but as Nate is a big Rafa fan, love it because my my kid loves Rafa. But the the historical value of it, and the fact that someone beat and took you know Rafa on clay. When I was telling that to Nate, he screamed. So <laughs> that that's how serious it is for no, Rafa it, fans. It is. It, it's like that. So I wanted to see him get fourteen. Rafa's like. If you talk about the most dominant player on the most dominant surface, no one comes close to what Rafa's done on clay. And that's why they – I mean, the king of clay for a reason. So for the fact that Novak was able to do that, that's what makes this season one of the greatest of all time. And it's it might be Novak's – it's in his top three for sure. It might not be his, his number one season of all time. But Novak only playing 14 events, I mean, what a season. And clearly, though, too, to have a final go into the distance – I think right. that's like one of those things where you just you always want it to happen. Usually, someone gets ahead of someone else, and and it's just you're, you're both playing at that level. And if someone's at their top of their game and you're injured, and you know, there's so many mm-hmm. variables that come into play at the final, and both guys can fight it out and get into the final set. I put it into the top for me. So I think no, that, and that was just momentum swings back and forth, back and I mean, those yeah. guys were fighting and. No, like it's just shout out to, to to Novak because his ability to kind of problem solve and adapt his game to be the best all court player of all time for sure. And to he, come out and be more just spry and just fresh in the fifth set. Mm-hmm. And and Rafa's won that challenge ninety five percent of the t- the time, ninety nine percent of the time in his career. Where like if it's gonna become a physical battle, Rafa invites that, and that's what he wants. And Novak. He was like, I'm here. I, I, I trust my fitness level. I do four hours of stretching every day. I hit the weights just as hard. I hit the court. I mean, I'm I, my body's ready. And Novak did it, and shout to Novak because that was unbelievable. Um, but, no, some of the st- – like I was, we were going back on was the guys that I'm looking forward to coming back, Roger and Rafa for sure. I mean, I, I think this is going to be Roger's last season. If I had to guess, 2022 will be probably like the his kind of farewell tour. Um Kind of what similar to what Kobe did in 2016, and I hope he I hope he gets five to six tournaments. I, I just want to see him play a few big ones. He's, I want to see him back in Wimbledon, and I want to see him go out on his terms. He he deserves that. Tennis fans deserve that. I hope the tennis gods give so, him good health because he we, we need it. We need it from a, Roger. This is probably a whole other podcast. But what how what do you define as going out on your terms? That's a good question. Um, and we could honestly talk about that on, in a whole segment. But I think on your terms, at, at, if you're if you're Roger, going out on your terms is like you're not losing matches because you're physically inept. Like obviously he's the, his his physical strengths and his his legs are are not what they used to be, and his um, he's not going to have the same quickness and same first step. But if he can last five five sets, uh, two or three times in, in, in a slam. Go out in the semis. Right, and go out in the semis or quarterfinals and, and give one of these top 10, 15 players gotcha. a hell of a match and something that we remember to take away. That's that's on his terms. And I I think he, he, he doesn't like the taste that he left in his own mouth and kind of what fans last saw of him at Wimbledon. And, um, yeah, that's that's obviously a very subjective thing. But I want to see him back to, back to Rodgers as close as he can get to his standard of 
of playing clean tennis. And then for Rafa, the same. I want to see Rafa come back looking healthy and try to try to get back to um, looking fresh, at, at least at Roland Garros, and try to capture his 14th title and get his 21st slam. Uh, but two other guys that are not being talked about quite as much as those two, Juan Martín del Potro and Dominic Team. Two guys that have a very passionate following. Juan Martín del Potro, the unluckiest guy in tennis. Um, I, that's what Novak's father has called him, and I, I couldn't agree more because that's one of the most talented, um, fun guys to root for, just a great ambassador for the game, and he's he was electric. I mean, his, his serve plus one was as good as the game has seen probably. I mean, it's up there, and I think – his misfortune with his his knee and um, just the crazy injuries he's had in his wrist, and he's battled through, and he continues the fight to get his career back on track. I, I love the guy, and I would love to see him back in the in the mix of um, playing some big matches. I mean, Andy, I think Andy Murray's comeback story has inspired a lot of these guys to just keep pushing, keep fighting, and you're gonna have your moment again. And I think that's what I hope for for, for Juan Martin and as well as Dominic Team. I mean, Team won the U.S. Open in 2020. And he had wrist problems as well. So I know, I mean, tennis is a very violent sport, and I know people don't think of it as a contact sport, but how much effort and how much torque and how much um, of a grind it is to put your body through that, those long three-hour matches, four-hour matches in the training, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's different. It, oh, yeah. it puts a lot of wear and tear on your body. And Dominic team with the amount of spin he plays with on both wings, um, I, it just I, you can just see it. I want why his wrist and why his body would, um, even at a young age of, I think he's, what, 27, 20, 27, 28? But if he can come back, I would love to see it because I think he's great for the game as well. He's just a fun guy that it seems to be very well liked on the tour. And I'm, I'm rooting for him to be to be healthy for the rest for the rest of 2022. And um, we, we need him back because I, I hate when top guys are sidelined through injury. And, um, yeah, so shout out to those four guys. Hope they all get healthy. And it's going to be a great 2022 if we, if we get those four guys back. So who finishes the next 2022 as the top-ranked United States tennis player? Well, that's a good that's, that's a good transition right there. I, that's why you're the co-host, man. Just pi- just a nice little pivot. <laughs> I think. Oh, that's tough. So obviously, like we said, Taylor Fritz is the is number one right now. Right at now, number 23. Um, but no, there's a bunch of guys that are going to be fighting for that spot. You got you got Corda Fritz, Tommy Paul, Opelka, Tiafo, Nakashima. And Brooksby, all going to be McDonald. McK- yeah, no, I, McDonald is he's getting the most out of his game. And I mean, if he every year he finishes in the top 70, 50, I mean, if he, if he gets to that point, that's that's huge. Yeah, for for his weapons there's and a his line, size, there's a line I feel right. for him. And he's get and he's getting everything he's he's everything he's got. He's getting it out. And I think that's just his work ethic and his love for the game. You love to see it. Uh, but I think at the end of the year, I will predict that. We will see Sebastian Corda make the leap. I'm totally with. I I agree. Like you look at the next gen guys. I you mm-hmm. were telling me Titsy Poss had just won next gen. I feel like he's been on tour forever, mm-hmm. and now he's a dominant top five guy. Corda's doing that right now. So if, if that history shows, or Medvedev was in the next gen. I mean, all the guys that were like you're looking at that next group of guys that can play into the top ten because it's like the ATP finals, but for the next the younger guys, so top American, and then he's got Agassi as his coach. I was looking mm-hmm. into that a little bit. Not, I don't know how much 
coaching he actually does. Coach but. is a loose term there, but yeah, no, I think Great. I think no, Ag- not to take away from Agassi's impact on him. I think Agassi's doing a lot for him, and especially just for the mentality aspect of it. I think that that's a huge thing. But um, no, I think I think I, and I didn't mean to skip on Isner. I know Isner's had a hell of a oh, career, yeah. but at some point it's going to slow down. I, he can serve guys off the court, but yeah, we'll we'll see what he does this upcoming year. I think Fritz is going to be a big factor. Fritz th- is doing – he's, like, great. I mean, he's playing into the quarters in almost every slam. No, Fritz is a beast, man. And I – it's always been, like – and Tiafo as well. Tiafo had a heck of a finish to this year. And it's – there's, there's like, four or five guys that are going to compete for that, that, that top spot right. as, as the American tennis player. And I think that's what makes it fun. It's and like – Tiafo beat Tsitsipas. Twice this year. Twice. Twice. Yeah. So, he's got to be in the conversation. So He does. And Tiafo's – Great for the game as well. What the excitement he brings to the court, how much he loves the the big moments and the big matches. It just that's what tennis needs, and I think he lives for that. And he's going to put himself in position to be to be a factor at the Grand Slams, and I think he's going to be another guy that's going to be in the conversation. Um, so I think, but no, Corda, if he can find uh, the, the serve, the serve and the forehand, if he can just beef him up a little bit, his all court game and his his mindset mentality, I think he's going to be the guy that's. It's going to be tough to keep him, keep him out of the top 30, top 25. And we'll see. Hopefully Fritz and Opelka can maintain. So those, do you, do those you think that like the, the, the level goes down and we have a guy, an American, in the top top 10? Or do you think that the, uh, like it's a more of a top 15 look? Yeah, that's, no. Top 15 look would be huge. Top 10 is it's tough, man. I mean, like, you got to knock somebody out. you, you got to knock one of, these, one, of these, one of these Goliaths out. I mean, the, the only guy that's been able to do it that was – um, that still surprises Karatsev, me. Is, he's going to take somebody's spot. You think Karatsev gets it? I think he does. I, mean, I think he would have had it. I think that, like, I think that, um, and I think that you have a couple guys in there that are just still, still benefiting from past. Yeah. I mean, like past the, points. Past points. So mm-hmm. I think that if you take into account this year, I think Karatsev takes over for Rude or takes over for um, Rude, Berrettini. The thing about Rude is he's going to. Put himself in 30 to 37, 38 events. Maybe I mean he's gonna put himself in I a didn't ton of events. He won that many matches though, so maybe I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Rude's at that age where he's 23, 24. He's gonna he's gonna be able to hold up physically throughout the next year as well. Um, but no, it's gonna be. T- I mean, if Rafa doesn't get healthy, that's that's a guy that's gonna probably he's gone. Drop out. Yeah, as, as those frozen rankings will be not won't be a factor for much longer. Um, We'll see. I mean, I think center is going to continue to improve. I got a trivia question while we're on center real quick. Okay. Novak Djokovic played 14 events this past year and finished number one, about 3,000 points ahead of number two, Daniel, Daniel Medvedev. Yep. Yannick Sinner is number 10 in the world. How many events did he play this past season? Sinner? Yes. Um, geez. All of them? <laughs> I, I, pretty much all of them. Okay. I have. I think it's... He was in every tournament. I literally think he played the most tournaments of anybody, well, besides one man, one one legendary man named Benoit Pair in the top 50. He, he definitely played the most besides anybody besides Pair. Which is great, too, which is why. And he was, you know, two points in the tiebreak away from taking Medvedev. So he, what, it, it paid your, off. It did. It did. And now he... He got yeah. He got he got his his debut in the ATP Finals in his home home country. What's what's your guess on how many events Center played? Jeez. Um, I'm gonna say ninety. 
Oh, no, no, no. He played 42. <laughs> so he played 28 more events than Novak, and he finished about... Oh, I'm sorry. I thought uh, events. I was talking about matches. Oh, matches. Okay. No, no, no. Yeah. Okay. So, no, he played 42 events. Teamini. That's unbelievable. And he's finished 8,000 points, over 8,000 points behind Novak. How many and wins? And he had a heck of a career. He had a heck of a year. Yeah, he did. How many wins did he get? That was you've been you were pumping the center from the beginning. So I, I was big on him this year coming in. I mean, a lot. Of, I'm not gonna like a lot of people were big on him this year, but he was he finished 46 and 22. Took home four titles. Nice. Took home a smooth 2.1 million dollars. No, that's 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 good money. It's not bad. It. It's not bad. 20 years old. That's not a bad living. But I, I actually had a buddy that was I was hitting with the other night. He was like, man, I went to Kings Island on a random day with some of my cousins and. Sinner was he must have just lost I guess and he was just out walking around trying to hop on the beast or whatever and Sinner was just in line in front of him he said not one person recognized the man he was just out there looking at, like a little kid at King's Island we would have recognized him though he I does would, look kind of like a little kid except that he's super tall and you know he's only six two that's the thing I, I wish he was taller because if he was taller he he'd be he'd be a, a even a bigger problem but um he no, looks exactly like this kid I used to babysit. <laughs> that's funny Ryan Staley <laughs> that's funny is, it, is, is there somebody that so like, to answer your question that we started off on this tangent was I do not think any of the Americans will make the top 10 jump if they made a top 15 jump that would be uh, unbelievable yeah. just looking at the top the rankings so many young talents are, are, are in that top 15 um, I mean you look at the guys at the back end of it it's Shapovalov it's Cam Norrie Schwartzman it's team yeah Karatsev who are Pablo also in every single every single tournament too. I but mean. but I think one of them's gonna do it. I think if I'm I'm gonna make the the, the hot take for me this on this podcast is gonna be that it's gonna be Fritz Corda Corda and they're gonna be 13, 14, 15 by the end of this year. Yep, I'm I'm I'm, I'm totally agreeing with that. I see that as well. Last trivia question before we finish up on this um, was what? So we got six guys on the tour active right now that have 20 titles or more. Obviously, the the big three. Can you name the other three that are active on tour that have 20 titles or more? Six guys. Can you name two of them? They're guys that you know. Um, one guy won his first title in like three three or four years, it feels like. Oh, man. Six guys on tour right now playing. One guy did not play a single match this past year, so that one might be I mean, tough. This... I mentioned him earlier on this podcast, though. And they have to have 20 titles? 20 titles or more. Yeah. One guy's from Argentina. Diego Schwartzman? Ooh, that's a good guess. Juan Martin da Potro. Oh, okay. Yeah, then I, I don't know that guy. Andy Murray? Andy Murray. No, you know Juan Martin da Potro. I know who he is. I just don't... I, I, yeah, he hasn't been, yeah, he has been healthy in forever. Yeah. You, 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 we got to say, we welcomed you back to the tennis community <laughs> in the last couple of years here. Okay, wait. So, there, so there's... Six guys. So yep. Andy Murray counts. Boom. Rafa. Boom. Djokovic. Mm-hmm. Does Federer count because he's still yep. playing? Yep. Okay, so that's four. And then you just gave me the Poultra. That's the, la- the last one's the tricky one who just recently won a title. He uh, he was training at five seasons when he was in Cincinnati. I, I, a few of my uh, coworkers actually met him at five seasons. He was just working out in the weight room. Super humble guy. Big fella. He actually won a Grand Slam. In 2010, 2011, 2010, one one Grand Slam t- 
title under his belt. Which 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 Grand Slam? U.S. Isner? Did Isner, Isner win? Isner did not. No. Marin Cilic. Don't know. Marin Cilic. Um, Don't know that. That's last, too hard. That is a hard, that's a tough that's a tough trivia right there. That's a tough one on this one. Uh, last segment I wanted to say on this one was as we cl- kind of conclude this season. Wait before we go, I have quick trivia for you. Give it to me. Who has the highest winning percentage of all tennis players in finals? And you have to be in the finals. When you get to the finals, who has the highest winning percentage? Sheesh. And and I'll give you a hint. He has a nickname of the, ter- the Terminator. Oh, man. But they use his you're last, you're making me look silly la- on this trip. No, you gave me hard ones. I know I, I There's did. no way I was going to know it. So this um, one... And it, Shoot. Um, what, what I talked get? about him because he's got giant. I liked him because he always had giant forearms. He looked like Popeye. And he's from Austria. People that are listening, all seven of you, <laughs> that that is, that's the question. Watch Nate's brains the spin. I'm hurt by this one. Austrian. He's an Austrian. It's not Dominic Team's dad? No. <laughs> Tomas Moosternator. Most Terminator, wow. Tomas Muster. When he got to the finals, he won the final. Wow. There was nobody that was going to take it from him. No, that you you would have had me stumped that. not in, ten out of ten times on that one. Sorry. Um, no, you're good. You're good. That's what we're here for. <laughs> I, I I don't know everything. I just know what I know. Um, I wanted to finish up though. First off, rivalry week. Forgot to mention. Shout out to Gruskin. Maybe the best rivalry on the tour. JJ Wolf versus Stefan Kozlov. The, the, those two, I mean, if you guys ever look at the Tennis One app, shout out to Tennis One guys, best app in the sport. You got if you ever see Kozlov versus Wolf, make sure you carve out that time in your day to watch it. Will do. Or DVR it because those two going Hatred. at it is must watch TV. Just get your popcorn, sit back. Those guys have played like 17 times in the last three months, all in semifinals or finals. Let's go back and look at it. September twenty September twenty fifth, twenty twenty one, Columbus Challenger final, won by Wolf. You have lost or sorry, one, sorry, won by Kozlov. Then you have October thirty first, Las Vegas Challenger final, won by Wolf. Ooh. And you have the Charlottesville Challenger in the I believe it was the final, won by Kozlov. Ooh. And then the Champagne really? Challenger semifinal. Won by Kozlov this oh, past that's, week. That's the best rivalry in tennis. It, it is. And Kozlov just clinched a spot in the Australian Open as a qualifier after that win. It's just, you have, if you ever see those guys, they, maybe they're friends. They don't look to be friends. No way they're friends. Right. And they're, they're both Americans. The finals every single time in the Challenger, they hate the, they the hate Challenger circuit is so fun, man. I, it's, the, the, those guys are so good. And they're, and they're fighting for a spot to battle in, in these big, these big events. Um, but no, to finish up, the best matches of the season. Give give me your top. Give me your favorite match that you remember from this past season. I mean, I love the. I I think we we hit we. I, we I, hit. I said the historical value of Rafael and uh, Djokovic being my favorite because it went to five sets. I think it put Medvedev over Djokovic, but although it wasn't the greatest match, it was like um, in the U.S. Open, I would put that up there. Wait, which one? Uh, Medvedev over Djokovic in yep. the final. That no, that was. A, that was a good match. I good think match. That that's just because you're a Matty Homer, though. I am a Matty Homer. I think that I liked. I liked. I no, Matty so brought Matty brought the goods. I liked Hercott's um, win in Miami uh, yep. earlier in the year against Center. Yep, it was. Center. Wow, wow, good, 
Good call. No, I'm. I remember that. That match. was when I was all V core. I was 100. percent That's what got except. you on the. You were Team Yonix ever since that day. I think. I think that like um, I was on Team Hercots and uh, kind of especially since. Um, you picked a pretty good group of guys to, to hop on the wagon I with did. in the beginning of the year. You got on Hercots early. You got on Karatsev after the Aussie, and then you got on Medi early. Yeah. I mean, within the last year and a half. I mean, that was that was an impressive trio you you picked to ride the curtails of yeah medi was the medi was the thing though um I, what about i think the match for me obviously i'm not picking novak versus rafa um match yeah we're going the match for me would have been um either hercots medvedev over uh djokovic or djokovic over nadal fair enough those are obviously two great matches i think the one that stands out to me is like at least because it, it kind of showed us the future. It did show us the future. When Alcaraz took down Tsitsipas in five sets at the U.S. Open, that match, that the level that those guys were, were playing, and I think Alcaraz was just – the fact that he was ready for that at 18 years old, that showed me something, and I think that guy's a, a future Grand Slam winner, and I think he's going to win a, a handful of them. I mean, 6-3-4-6-7-6-0-6-7-6, and it was just – I don't know if I've ever seen a guy hit the ball as hard as Carrots or as Alcaraz did that match. That was unbelievable tennis that he put on put on a show. And Juan Carlos Ferrero has himself a gem, and that's that's going to be a guy that I'm really looking forward to watch. Is I think he's the guy that you'll be looking to watch make that top ten breakthrough as a 19 year old. I mean, he just has it all. I I think he's got a nice solid serve, huge forehand, his backhand stable. He can move his his wheels are. I mean, he's ridiculously fast. One of the fastest guys on the tour. He's got good hands at the net. Super athletic. His mental game is strong. That guy's going to be here, and he's going to be a top five player eventually. And he's he's got all everything you would want to ever ask for in a tennis player. He's got it, but minus the six six height. Yeah. Um, and then on the women's end of things, we haven't shown the WTA much love on this podcast, but we will in the next one. We will. Layla Fernandez taking down Sabalenka at the U.S. Open in the women's semifinal, 7-6-4-6-6-4. That was like, this run is for real. And, like, this is a real player that's going to be a factor on the women's side for a long time. It just showed, like, her, she was doing the uh, Angie Kerber. Like, her knees were almost on the ground hitting backhands and just pounding the ball into the corners and just getting out of the corner so well, moving so fluid, and playing with a passion that it was – unmatched you can just tell like how much tennis means to her how much she loves being out there and competing and um taking down Sabalenka who was at the t uh, kind of the peak of her powers this year that was an unbelievable match and I I was one of the uh, matches that I just I couldn't take my eyes off it I, I mean was, uh, and the I think um, I even worked some OT that day because I, I couldn't leave the office and <laughs> take my eyes off that off, off the screen I was just sitting there like these girls are putting on a show I'll finish my job after this match exactly I'll get back to posting on, on social media and, and, and putting out some brand awareness after this match but I, I, I had I had to take it all in but guys we've taken up an hour of your time if you made it this far thank you yeah thank you thanks a lot for you guys been listening this far I mean we're gonna be doing these a lot more often it's so much fun talking tennis there's send so much us the, to be send had. Us mail yeah follow us on social media tell your friends about the pure tennis podcast if you enjoyed it and hopefully I mean if if you got, we're going to start doing some guests on here soon, and we're, we're super excited to talk about that stuff because, I mean, the, the coach aspect, the training aspect, get some players on here. It's going to be a lot of fun. Have a great weekend, guys. Have a great holidays, and we'll be talking to you guys soon.